Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, it's another cringe cast. And I had not planned on a cringe cast. What actually happened was I went onto YouTube and uh, my goal was to try to find some sort of video in which there's a scholarly biblical defense of timelessness. And so you just take timelessness and you put it in the YouTube search results and it's like it's a wilderness. It's a, it's it's very desolate. And so but I did find Oh man, I th I thought at first what I was looking at was the guy from Wretched Radio. I'll kind of zoom forward so you could get a little picture of him. So that's that's who he is, kind of like tall, and he's got the same kind of facial characteristic. I thought it was Wretched Radio guy, like a early, or early I don't know video of him evangelizing uh, what looks like uh, college populations or whatever. I said, okay, I'll just take a look at this, and then I watched it and. Oh man, I watched this whole video and it was, it was incredibly painful. So I got, I got to share my suffering with you. And so he's dealing with atheists and these people are asking like legitimate questions and we'll just see how he responds being uh, the apologist who has a crowd of people that he's trying to convince of something. And uh, for today's uh, cringe cast, we got some um, nice red wine going on, a vintage $3.00. $3 wine. It's mostly arsenic. So, you know, it's I, I usually don't just drink straight arsenic, but if it's uh, cheap and they call it wine, I'll drink arsenic. And so that's what I do. So we'll go ahead and hit play and uh, we'll see what happens in this video. The whole point of Christ is grace. That's what separates Jesus Christ from every major world religion. Every other major world religion. I don't care if it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Taoism, it's all based on works. Work it. Work the system. Do a good job. Pile up the brownie points with God. Be better than your neighbor. And then maybe you'll make it. And Jesus says, no, you'll never make it. But I shower my generous gift of forgiveness and life with God for eternity upon you. So he's not wrong there. Um, there is a very much a historical element to Christianity that's fairly unique in religion. So Paul's talking about the gospel by which you're saved, and it's a historical event. And you don't get that often in world religion. So he, he's not wrong there. And you see, when you accept that, that changes everything in here. So now the, no longer is the question, what's the minimum that I can do to be a follower of Christ? No, the issue is, Lord Jesus, you love me so much. I respond to your love in love. I mean, why do you think I love God? I hope none of you think that I love God because I'm a great guy. You'd be a fool to believe that because I'm not a great guy. This poor guy's just standing here listening to this big monologue. This is interesting. It has like 36,000 views and a thousand likes. And so uh, apparently this is popular that people like this stuff. I, it's no Jesse Morrell. It's... Uh, it's no uh, Israel, Reuben Israel or anything like that, but it, it is interesting. I just assume be an atheist. I just assume run away from God because I like playing God. It's thrilling. But when I am confronted by the depth of God's love for me, I've got to respond in love. And I've got to ask, okay, Jesus, what on earth do you want me to do with my life? watch and they know right so I'm, I'm sure you've heard of like the watchmaker dilemma <laughs> okay, or which one um essentially like 
I guess the one that I'm talking about is if someone were to make a watch and they know all the gears of the watch, they know when it will tick, etc., even though they're not constantly forcing it to tick. So what it looks like happened here is he went to a college campus, pulled out a bunch of cameras, and then everyone gathered around. It looks like his audience is bored. And so if you're a street preacher, um, that's one thing you do not want to do is bore your audience. You, you keep them entertained. Uh, uh, Judge Smock would always have a Bible and he'd thump his Bible and he would just yell and he'd say things and the, rail the students up. And so that that's effective street preaching. It, it stirs the emotions. It gets people. It draws people in. These people, uh, they, they, it seems like a hostage situation going on here. So if God has a full timeline of the events mm -hmm. at the moment that he created us, then although at each moment he's not purposely causing us to make decisions, he was aware at the moment of creation what those decisions would be. Okay, so here's the setup. God had decided what world to create, which includes all actions anyone would ever do. And so we'll let him finish his, his question here. Because of his perspective. He sees it. Correct. Not because he's determining. Not because he's causing. Right. But, but by the fact that he created us. Yes. And simultaneously knew the outcomes. Yeah. It still falls in a kind of determinist camp. Not for me, but for you. Okay. <laughs> Not for me, but for you. You see, because I'm convinced that if there is no God... There is no such thing as free will. It's an illusion. Right, but we're assuming there is God. Right. <laughs> the atheist, he's like, uh, I don't know if the kid's an atheist, probably. Uh, the atheist, he's like, uh, yeah, we're, let's assume there's a God, and he, he determines, he picks, he creates a world knowing the exact timeline, what's going to play out. Um, there's no free will there. And uh, this Todd Farrell guy, I don't know his real name. His name is Cliff Knetchel. He's like, well, for you, but not for me, because I believe that God must exist or else there's no such thing as for like he was answering the wrong question. And so it, it's a talking point when you're talking to atheists. Uh, it's, it's something you you're, you might train yourself to do as an instant response if they say, oh, yeah, well, God can't is incompatible with free will or something like that. And then um, then the Christian response is, oh, free will can't exist without God for this, this or this reason. He's throwing out the wrong talking point to the wrong question. He, he's, he's accessing the wrong part of his, his memory to, to interact with this guy. This guy's getting a little frustrated here. And you see, one of my evidence is that God... Oh, then, then this Todd guy, I'm calling him Todd, uh, Cliff, he, he's real proud of this. And so he takes the footage and he puts it on the internet for everyone to watch. God exists. It's free will. Because if there is no God, we can't have free will because we're matter and energy. We're just highly complex chemical reactions. You have to address that logical disconnect that God simultaneously knew what we were going to do and created us at that same moment, yet we're held accountable for those decisions that we knew, he knew we were going to make. Right. So, yeah, this is a, actually a decent argument. Let's say that you knew 100% certainty that if you hand your kid a loaded shotgun, that kid is going to go out and just shoot some random innocent person in the street. It's like 100% fact. There, there's no variability. It 100% will happen. If you hand that kid a shotgun, you, you're, you might be directly culpable for that death, more so than your kid. Maybe, perhaps. 
Because of his perspective outside of time, he sees the future, the present, the past at a single glance. Does not mean that he has not given us the gift of free will. How can you simultaneously give free will and know an outcome and be the creator? Well, I can promise you I'm not the creator, so obviously you know, I can't answer that Just in terms of the creator. But yes, you can create. God can be all-knowing and create and know what's going to happen. He's so uh, this is one thing that happens. Um, I, I was listening to the Ryan Mullen podcast on timelessness, and they point this out too, that there was this big defense of timelessness. And basically the people just asserted what they were claiming to prove. They said, we're, we're, we're going to prove that, uh, I don't know, um, determinism and free will are compatible with with Calvinism or something like that. And then then the, their response paper is just them reasserting the things that they were telling people that they're gonna try to prove. And so his argument, this kid, he actually has a legit argument. If God knows for certain 100% what will happen and creates the universe, uh, number one, there's no free will. Number two, God's responsible. And our uh, Cliff guy, Cliff is his name, Cliff, his response is, God can know things and there can be free will. No, no reasons why. There's, it's not an argument. He's just making assertions. Outside of the dimension of time. But by the very fact that he created and he knows what's going to happen. Okay, let's say he allows for free will. Let's just say mm -hmm. that's a given. Just by the fact that he knows what the outcomes are, even though he's not changing them at the very moment, when he created us, he knew who was going to be damned and who wasn't. Yes. So isn't that a problem when he has the ability to just create us differently? Okay. It is impossible for God to give us free will and then to force us to trust him. <laughs> did, did, did that respond at all to what that kid was asking? The kid wasn't asking about anything like that. He said... That if we are created, even if you pretend there's a little something, there's a category called free will that's attached to us, just the mere fact that before we're created, all of our events in our life, all our actions, all our choices are priorly known before we could even choose to, to enact them, that means there's not free will. That means that God is picking who's saved and who's damned. And guess what? God could actualize a different universe if God so chose. God could actualize have maybe have me born in a different year or have uh, me born in a different country or a continent. He, he could do those things to make sure that people don't, they end up on the correct path, the path to heaven, the path to everlasting life rather than damnation. Our, our friend Cliff is just not, I don't, I, I legit don't think he's understanding the objections and the questions. It's impossible. It is impossible for God to make a square circle. It is impossible for God to exist and not exist in the same there goes way the audience. At the same time. So essentially your argument is that if there is God, there has to be free will, and that's just how you would address the no. fact. I don't believe that if there is God, there has to be free will. What I'm arguing is, Obviously, from my observation and experience of life, we have free will, which means there's more to reality than matter and energy. Okay. I mean, if, if I slap her and you ask me, why did I slap her? And I say, because the biochemical reactions in my brain forced me to slap her.
Hopefully. Did you hear the guy ever argue against free will that no one has free will? None of that was part of his objections. Cliff is answering, responding to uh, talking points that he's prepared for that are irrelevant to this conversation. Uh, it, he's he's objecting. He's he's pointing out that atheists can't believe in free will. The kid never said any. Kid doesn't. He might not even be an atheist. He might not. We don't know because that wasn't part of the question. That wasn't part of the question. Todd or not Todd? Uh, Cliff. Cliff, what you doing, Cliff? Hopefully you won't buy that. I mean, it would be extremely abusive to ignore, like, the previous stimuli up to that point, like, whatever had occurred before that led to the slot. But, I, I mean, I was really just curious to see what your right. argument would be against that. But I think you've pretty much answered my question. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I said, I think you pretty much answered my question. And then Cliff is like, okay, good. Thank you. You bet. And he's he's walking away. He, he's... He's like, this guy's an idiot. He, he, that's what he's internalizing as he says, I think you've pretty much answered my question. And uh, Cliff thinks that he actually did answer the question. Cliff honestly thinks that he answered the question. So I was this guy I was in this programming class with. He was not a very smart guy, a very, very dumb man. And uh, he wasn't going to pass the class. And so everyone in the class wanted to help him. So I remoted into his code. I rewrote his code so that his code was going to work. And then uh, I hit save. And then he was running his code. And he's like, oh, man, I know why I did that. Why I did that. He, like, the guy legit thought he wrote his own code. He did not write his, I wrote his code for him. He legit thought this code that he's never seen before was written by him. Oh, it's sometimes, maybe just let people fail sometimes. I'm curious why we pray because like yeah you pray for, like, me too traveling, or you you pray for um good grades or for health like god already knows if you're going to get into an accident or not you know and mm -hmm. so it kind of like questions like if like you do have like free will basically like the other guy was saying mm -hmm. but then again in the bible like god was like i'm gonna kill all these people but then moses was like no i got this i'll handle this and then god like agreed so i mean that's a good question it, like, lady is like so does God like know every like you know what I mean? Like does yeah. God like know the plan or does God like go with the flow with you like as you pray? Okay, and you ask a very hard question. Why pray? If God is all knowing, why pray? All right. In our culture, too frequently, prayer is a way to hit the button to get the cosmic bellboy to fetch my bags. You know, I haven't studied for this test, Lord. Look, he's he's answering. Uh, he's he's got these prearranged scripts in his head for these different scenarios. But when the scenarios play out differently, he can't he can't talk to the actual point at hand. He has to pull up these these predetermined scripts. And so she's not she's she's saying that there's no reason to pray whatsoever. Now he's going to go into a monologue on we shouldn't pray for material wealth or something like that. That's that's not what the question's about. It's like he's answering a completely different question, one that wasn't asked, maybe one that he prepped for in his own head. It just doesn't exist. That's not what she's asking. Is anyone else noticing this? I sure could use an A. So I'm praying to you for an A. And I sure would like a Mercedes in my driveway when I get home. Signed, Cliff. All right. That's not real prayer. 
she's like she's like yeah i i, I agree that's, that's that has no relevance that has no bearing on my question todd not todd cliff cliff that has no bearing on my question it's not an attempt to get the goody goodies prayer is an attempt to develop intimacy with god Look at these guys in the background. This guy, this guy's like has his head on his hand. He's like falling asleep. I, I think these guys understand what they're watching and what they're experiencing. This this guy comes to their campus and just talks nonsense to every single question that's a, a asked of him. Condescendingly, too. He's being very condescending. He's like, okay, so prayer is not like asking for like trucks and and the shoes and uh, asking for material wealth. You, you got that? She's like, okay, I just, okay. See, according to Christ, the purpose of life is to know God, to love and worship God, and then to love and serve people. So the first purpose of prayer is to get to know God. And that's why when you read the Psalms, you'll notice what a struggle prayer is. Prayer is not, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen, good night. It's not prayer. That's a magical formula, a ritual. Prayer is a real struggle where I, as a human being, am struggling with God in prayer. That's the first point. Second point is, hopefully what I'm learning in prayer is to learn to align my will with God's will. That's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> Father, if it is possible... Oh, man, this is... This... Oh, this is so cringe. The entire purpose of prayer in the Bible is ask and you shall receive. What kind of father, when his son asks him for cakes, gives him a serpent? It's like prayer of a righteous person avails much. God is moved by prayer throughout the Bible. God is responsive to prayer. And these these individuals, they can't square like the normative, normative biblical testimony with their theology. And so they, they have to give like little monologues. Like, we shouldn't pray for material wealth. Where where in the Bible says, don't ever ask for material wealth in any situations. It's okay to do that. It's okay to ask for blessings. He's like, oh, prayer prayer helps us learn about God. What? Are, what? Prayer's talking to God. Possible. Let this cup pass from me, yet not my David way. caught that. He writes, a prayer equals a, str a struggle session. Except for, I think our friend... Cliff, I gotta keep looking at his name. I think he would say that God, God's not a participant in this struggle. It's like a one-way struggle. Um, I, I, I don't think that he would ascribe, if pressed on the issue, that struggling to God. Will, but your will be done. That's good. I got a good buddy who ends all of his prayers with, "Not my will, but your will be done." Good, very good. Thirdly. Does God use prayer to bring about his will? Absolutely yes. That's why James writes in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In a way that I don't understand, God uses our prayers to bring about his will. To change events, he uses prayer. Does that mean that God depends upon our prayers? No. God doesn't depend upon our prayers. God does what God chooses to do. So. So God's just going to do whatever God wants to do, regardless of our prayers. It really doesn't affect God, but it, it could add to the calculation in the grand scheme of things. This is not the biblical picture of prayer whatsoever. 
Biblical picture of prayer is God often does things God doesn't want to do for the sake of humanity. That's the picture. He really doesn't want that to be the case, though, because that violates his presuppositions about who God must be to be God. Pray and learn to pray deeply right from your heart. Because prayer is you seeking to connect with the living God who loves you deeply. Watch out for people who say, if you pray this way, you get what you want. That's a lie. <laughs> prayer is not a text. She's just sitting there like, this is not my question. Look at her. She's just like, uh, he's just, why did I even, why did I do this? Why did I stand up and ask this question? It, it's not helping. I'm not getting the answer. Technique to learn to get what I want. That ain't it. And you'll hear that often in the United States. Don't buy it. There's no magical way to pray so that your dying mother gets healed. There's no magical prayer to pray. There's no magical prayer to pray to heal your loved ones? That, imagine, ima imagine that in the Bible. Maybe, maybe Isaiah says that to the people. He says, there's no magical prayer to pray to, for God to save you from your enemies, for God to heal the dying and sick. Imagine that was Jonah. It's like, there's no magic prayer you guys could say. You're just going to all die. There's there's nothing you could do. It's 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 not magic. It's not magic. What What is prayer? Cliff? I was going to call him Todd again. That you get a job. Okay? No. Prayer is, first of all, the human struggle to get to know God, to develop intimacy with God. Does God use our prayers? Yes, ma'am. Now, finally, what are the answers that God gives me to my prayers? first answer no <laughs> that that is that is part of the bible it's like god will just shut down your prayer all the time no if it doesn't align with what god wants god will just say no i gotta shut that down i remember uh i was in a group i was we were praying for a kid with cancer it was like like a cancer quasi cancer thing it's, it was like a bone disease and uh the people praying are like uh, basically like this, like, uh, we know that whatever happens is within your will, but please heal this individual. But if you don't, that's okay. It's like, what are we doing here? What kind of prayers have have this type of theology led to? Do you see any precedence for this in the Bible? Nobody thought like this. Nobody thought like this until modern times. No one structured their prayers this way. Everyone thought prayer was effective effectual that god listens and god responds it takes theologians to corrupt basic things like prayer no cliff often that god's answer to my prayer second answer slow slow down cliff you're going too fast it's going to take some time third answer grow cliff you got a lot of growing to do grow up fourth answer is go cliff you bet you're right in line with my will go. So those four answers, I think, are options to all of us. No, slow, grow, and go. So that's how I work with the issue of prayer. Say, notice that. The, that was rehearsed. His uh, grow, no, slow, uh, no thing, that, that's all rehearsed. They're talking points. And he hears a trigger word. Her trigger word was prayer. And he gives this big lecture about Something completely off topic because her question just happened to have his trigger word for his talking points within.
and don't shake his hand. Don't shake his hand, lady. No. Believing in God and getting horribly persecuted, or in some cases not believing in God, right? So you could look at the Sudan, where uh, people believe in God and they get their genitals mutilated and their breasts hacked off. Or you could look at something, um, say, look in Afghanistan, where uh, you have kids that don't have enough money to live like yeah. with their parents, and then their parents t take them to madrasas, right. which breed suicide bombers. And uh, apparently, right, like these kids are doing horrible evil. Okay, I got spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This guy, this guy has these uh, moral problems. What does Todd, not Todd Farrell, uh, Cliff, what does Cliff answer with? Pre-canned talking points about how in atheism there's no morality. But not of their own volition. And all of that was set in motion by God. If, if you believe in God in, in the first place. But yes. So, so tell me about what's really emotionally driving this. Because I, I respect you and I think you've got some powerful emotions behind that, right? Oh, well, there, it's, it, I, there isn't an emotional thrust to this. The, uh, the, I'm just trying to put forth examples of, of really terrible things that happen. Right. And that happened as a consequence of us getting created. And that would have never had to have occurred had the creation event not happened. Exactly. And obviously, it seems to me, the reason you use the illustrations you did is because you have a conscience and a rational mind that convinces you that what is happening in the Sudan and in Afghanistan is really evil, wrong, destructive. Well, I, I, I agree with it being destructive, but I think it's much more easy for me to rationalize what happens, all these evil things that happen in the world, or things that we would say are destructive, by removing God from the picture and saying that people are gonna act like people. Because if you look around in nature and everything, there's, a, there's this underlying theme of, of a world that is not nice and that is not at all ideal. Okay. The reason that I cannot do what you just recommended is because if I take God out of the picture, what is happening in the Sudan and in Afghanistan is not ultimately evil. It just happens. Exactly. So moralistic fallacy. He's like the reason that I can't believe the things you believe is because um, then there's actually not such thing as moral evil. Therefore, we got to believe in God. <clears throat> it's not a good argument. That's a, a argue, moralistic fallacy argument from consequences. We're gonna skip this guy. I guess what we'll do now is we'll jump to the Will Duffy timelessness debate because that's an actual that's an actual attempt by someone who's a little bit intelligent to actually put down a case for timelessness, try, trying to build that case. I, I don't have good examples online. There, there's, there doesn't seem to be anyone out there with good hard-hitting sermons that I could find that defend timelessness from a biblical perspective. I'm sure Dwezel has something out there. It's probably lumped into his simplicity or attributes of God sermons. Uh, just different sections, but there's there's no like dedicated. So if I put in like timeless, it's like I'm coming up with my videos. I'm coming up with uh, Ryan Mullins, the death of the timeless God. I'm finding that. I'm not finding this is this is also what I'm finding. I'm finding Cliff here. Cliff, you're failing me here. 
And so we'll kind of jump forward to... Uh, okay, so Will, I think then by... You Will Duffy debate. And we'll go to the opening introduction by our friend Jeremy. That's good. He's got his name on the screen. I won't have to scroll down. Find anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I've also been looking forward to this for some time, been studying this for uh, a few weeks now. My brain feels a little bit mushy, but hopefully hopefully, what comes out is uh, articulate. All right, cool, guys. Uh, once again, thank you for joining me. This is going to be a, a very, very... And so that creates an interesting dynamic for such a debate title. Uh, more accurately, I believe that God transcends the creaturely limitation of sequential thoughts and action. And I believe that he is Lord of time. Absolutely. So what's on the line this evening when we have this discussion? If What does it matter if God is inside of time only or if he exists outside of time? What do we lose if God has a purely temporal existence just as his creatures do? Well, there are two big things that we lose. First is the lordship of God. God is no longer the creator of time in such. <laughs> Guess what? I define the Lord as someone who creates time. And if time is not created, then now he's not the Lord of time. Yeah. Is this like a Lord of the dance reference? I don't know. I don't remember in, in the Bible, uh, Bible describing God as the Lord of time. He's the father of ages, uh, just like uh, El is described in the Babylonian pantheon. That, that just means you're, you're the king of uh, from eternity or whatnot. You're, you're, you're the ultimate God. Such a view, but he must exist like his creatures within time. We see that God is no longer able to do what he alone wills. Uh, yeah, so imagine that. Imagine if Christianity actually didn't take hold and the Babylonian epic of Gilgamesh and Enuma Elish, those things took off and, and they were the current by which everyone based their arguments off of and then pretend it's Platonized. You, you'd, you'd find the exact same thing. You'd have people like, uh, oh, his name disappeared, Jeremy. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Jeremy. Jeremy here arguing that uh, L in the Babylonian pantheon is timeless or Marduk, or whatever they want to attribute, and they'd be pulling these little phrases out of context, like, oh, he's he's the father of years. Oh, yeah, it's uh, he's, he's, he's uh, Marduk. Uh, his word is Anu. His word will happen. Whatever he says will occur. Therefore, timelessness, or else you can't be uh, assured that his word will take part. So it's, it's it, we're living in like a clown world in which people just are using the Bible as this very obscure data set to prove the most absolutely inane things that were never even presumed by the biblical authors. It's just not there. None of them, none of them th thought like that. According to open theism, but he's subjected to an outside force by necessity in his character. His holiness becomes temporal. His nature becomes temporal. His nature can change and his lordship is directly affected. If he if God could change, oh man, that's so terrible because uh, that violates Platonism, and now he's less than what he would have been otherwise because change has to be better or worse. Just just like Plato told us in the Republic. Have you guys read Republic? Have you guys read Plato's Republic? If God could change, he can't be God anymore. He is changeable. So to be clear, if God lacks transcendence in just this one area. 
transcending time itself, then he is not Lord at all. One of my favorite parts of this debate is when this guy, Jeremy, tries to press Will on uh, God's eminence and transcendence. He's like, well, you don't think that uh, God can be transcendent and it precludes something like that. And Will Duffy's like, those are your words, not mine. Those words aren't in the Bible. You're just making up category. It's ad hoc category creation. We haven't talked about ad hoc category creation for quite some time on this podcast, but that's what like Calvinists tend to do. They'll just make up categories and then assign things into these categories and think that those categories represent reality. They're just making things up. It's like you haven't proved your case. And my favorite part of this debate, my, my absolute favorite part of this debate is where they're going back and forth and and Jeremy's like, well, my proof texts say that God's outside of time. He's like, no, your proof texts don't. That's what you're saying that you're, that's what you're reading into your proof texts. He's, he's like, yeah, so what, what's the problem with that? He's like, my problem is that the Bible just doesn't describe God as outside of time. There's just nowhere there. It, it just doesn't have any verses or any concepts. You have to force your reading in all your own proof texts. That's the first thing we lose is the lordship of God. The second thing that we lose, if open theism is correct, is certainty. God's absolute sure knowledge of future events. Wow. If your wife is a living, breathing person rather than like a blow up doll or one of those mail order plastic ladies, that means she can change. We lose certainty certainty in our marriage. <laughs> we go out and buy those pillow waifus, because those don't change. You could have certainty that your waifu will be waiting for you when you get home. That, that's the idea here. What happens in open theism is that prophecies become mere weapons. Did you guys see when uh, United States, when we left Afghanistan and a lot of people left things at the bases and there was a bunch of U.S. soldiers that left waifu pillows, which are anime girls that are on body pillows, and the Afghan uh, Taliban were throwing the waifu pillows over the wall and letting them hit the ground and then shooting them with AK-47s. Oh, man, the waifu let them down. Those American soldiers, their waifus were all massacred. Ah, I, I, guess, I guess that is the one bad thing about not being able to change. Your waifu will not be able to protect herself from the AK-47. Weather forecasts. And we all know how often meteorologists are wrong about the weather. Uh, well, God can be mistaken too. He's just forecasting things and he's not certainly telling what will happen. Open theists believe that God does not have exhaustive foreknowledge, but he has ignorance regarding events that... Jeff says at least they take longer to change, referencing the non-real ladies, but I wouldn't know from experience. Gross. <laughs> Yuck. Will certainly take place. And this directly affects our hope as Christians. Christian hope is certain. Christian hope is not mere wishful thinking as the world talks about hope. But when Christians talk about hope, we are speaking of... So why does it that these, these talks and these conversations about these issues have to be like a big moralizing speech to begin with? So it's like he's priming his audience. He, he might not be conscious of what he's doing, but he's... He's best basically trying to bias them in his favor with this big moralistic speech like if you give up timelessness then all these things kick in and that would be really really bad so now let's talk about my evidence and so you'll you'll find that often in these debate formats that's that's how these people operate and think and it's probably convincing to them and so then they use it for others
of a certain future reality, a certain future inheritance that's awaiting us as Christians. If God does not know the future, and if God exists within time with the same limitations that we have regarding time and sequence, Christian hope is no longer certain. So what does the Scripture say? Uh, th this is the key point. This is really all that matters uh, at the end of the day, is what do the Scriptures say? And as we get into that thought, I want to talk about hermeneutics, simply how we interpret the text. What is our interpretive a guide. What's our interpretive grid as we approach the scriptures? And within that, I want us to think about the difference between indicative passages in scripture and narrative passage in passages in scripture. And this will be very important to pay attention to throughout the debate. Uh, there are indicative passages in scripture or didactic. So this is the actual uh, funny thing that uh, these people do. They 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 build this uh, dichotomy. Like, uh, yeah, we got these didactic texts and those texts tell us truly about who God is. These people are teaching about metaphysical attributes of God. And then we have these narrative texts, which have to be subservient to the didactic texts. But the funny thing is that through this debate, it becomes very obvious that the didactic texts don't at all in any way suggest what he's trying to argue that they're saying. They actually say the opposite, as Will Duffy points out. Like uh, if God is from everlasting to everlasting, those are time-based things. If one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, that's God experiencing time. These, these are the opposite of timelessness. So really when they say that the didactic trumps the narrative, what they're saying is you got to read the entire Bible with my theology in mind. My theology that I bring to the text trumps absolutely everything because guaranteed those didactic texts do not say anything that they're claiming. None of the biblical authors are speaking metaphysics. They're not talking about uh, the essence of God. If they say that God's good, they're not saying that there's like a metaphysical goodness that incorporates his his very substance such that it's, it's like uh, the Augustine God is the ultimate good. That's not what they're talking about. They're just saying he's good. God is good. God is faithful. God is powerful. God sees what we're doing. These, these are practical issues. God sees, and therefore God can judge. There's a practical element to all these issues. It's not metaphysics. It's not metaphysics. And so anytime they turn to their didactic texts, none of them say anything close to what these people are claiming. They'll turn to Isaiah and say, oh, this is a didactic text that God declares the end from the beginning. Well, end from what? From the beginning of what? The context tells us what it's talking about. It's not all things. It's the things that God's going to do. And it tells us how God does them and how God knows them. It's God's power. God's able to accomplish. Yeah, yes, we agree God can do things. It's not this weird appeal to metaphysics. ...passages in scripture where we are being taught something about the very nature of God or the very character of God. We, we might be told by an inspired author like in John 4 that... So what happens, Jeff writes that these people are addicted to absolute certainty. What they want is for the Bible to be a computer program that they could just look through the various lines and the code and they could take certain verses from one spot and then transcribe it over to another spot and then put them together and come to these conclusions like, oh, because this verse says this and this verse over here says this, if you run the formula, that must mean this. Wow, look at that. I figured out this biblical code, uh, absolute certainty about how the universe works and functions I'm cracking into the metaphysical substance of what exists. And so it's it's just, it's a weird mentality. It's, it'd be like 
uh, Trekkies, people who are very much big into Star Trek or Star Wars or anything else with lore, like Lord of the Rings people. They, they'll they'll argue over obscure passage as of the Similarian. I think that's uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's work, Similarian. I've read it that, way back in in high school. I don't remember anything, but um, they'll they'll treat it like that. That's like the de facto code, and so whatever it says will make a very solid point about whatever thing they're trying to argue. And you just have to get the lines and add them together and come up with the right solutions. But again, the Bible is not that. The Bible is a practical text. The Bible's talking to normal people using normal figures of speeches, normal idioms, normal normal conventions of thought, normal ways of communication. And so in order to and to take it and to turn it into something mechanical, something metaphysical, something it's not, and then treat it like this, this is how these people go off go off the ranch, we'll say. Uh they they leave town. They're they they've got They've gone wild, gone loose. They, they uh, exited the corral. I don't know, um, but they, they just they just go crazy with their metaphysics because this is the world that they're in. That the Bible is a metaphysical manual rather than a practical guide to religion and who God is. It's not a personal manual of uh, a religious practice. It's not how to know God better. It's a metaphysical guide to reality. God is spirit. This is a sh straight statement about God's nature. God is spirit. That's an indicative. It's indicating something about God. Whereas narratives describe actions of God. For instance, many times in the Old Testament, you'll see the phrase, the So if you want to know who I was, what would be better? Uh, some random person telling adjectives about me? Or like concrete examples of me doing things, right? If I, I help someone in, at some point, if I volunteered for church teaching kids for seven years in a row, that's that's more concrete than saying, oh, um, he is altruistic. If someone says he's altruistic and uh, what what's better for comprehending who I am, the data point or the generality? The generality it could mean anything. You know, maybe he gives like. A dollar once in a while to a homeless guy. You're like, yeah, that doesn't. You're like, I don't care about dollars to a homeless guy. That doesn't do anything for me. Volunteering to help kids without anything in return that that might be a better data point. And so the the actual actual opposite is true. That we know God better by the concrete data points of his thoughts, actions, behavior, rather than the generalities, which are just generalities. Israel has built these generalities based on God's past acts and behaviors. They've put together a picture of who God is. And often when they're telling us who God is, they'll cite these previous examples to illustrate what they mean when they're using these words. And so these, these people have an opposite picture of reality when they're coming to the Bible. The hand of the Lord was against certain people. Well, we don't look at those narratives and read those and understand that God has a physical physical hand that he actually uses in combat to physically hold people back. We understand by the plain teaching of Scripture that God is spirit, and we also understand that there are literary devices used within Scripture to teach us something about his character and his nature. But they are not direct statements like the indicative passages that declare something like he is spirit. Open theists argue that God's actions cannot be understood as figures of speech. 
so when we think about the passages where it says the hand of the Lord was against them. Yeah, so he's kind of just making things up now. Open theists will say this. Well, okay, that's, that's not a critical point for open theism. Maybe some open theists somewhere say that. Uh, Will's not uh, denying God's immateriality. Will doesn't believe that God has a physical hand that he's actually using in battle. But generally speaking, Will and other open theists see narrative passages as being undeniable and never figures of speech so that they become our interpretive grid for the indicative. <laughs> they never they never want these to be figures of speech. I, I don't care. You can just look at the context. Uh, there was a conversation I had with that lady the other day, and she's like, oh, so all these things are literal. I said, well, no, not all of them. You just kind of have to look at the context and just you have to each thing needs to stand alone based on its own context, whether or not it's literal or figurative. But we do have to actually do the thought process to say, maybe, perhaps, let's just run through the thought process. Maybe they do mean what they're saying. God killed a sea monster. Maybe, perhaps, that's what they actually are teaching that God did. Maybe God killed a sea monster. That That is a possibility. That the indicative or the didactic statements about God's nature should be interpreted by the narratives. Um, as God inspired scripture, this is what we need to consider about this. As God inspired scripture, he worked through human authors in their limited state to express a variety of things that all people need to know. Scripture is anthropomorphic in nature. And that just means that God meets us in our limitations. So uh, Terence Frithium, he died a couple years ago. Um, very sad time. But in his uh, book, The Suffering of God, uh, he makes a lot of very solid points about the use and function of language. I think we've read it several times in which he's talking about how all language is metaphorical. All language, language is just symbols, you know, and the symbols have to try to connect to something uh, tangible in the real world. And the only way language works is from us uh, being able to recreate in our mind what the other person is talking about with the symbols that they're using, the words as they connect to real real things and reality. So all language, yes, is metaphorical in that sense. But even if language is metaphorical, it is that it's connecting cognitive domains. It has to map to something. It has has some sort of meaning. So what's being communicated? What what uh, spheres of of in intellect of reality are being connected with these words? What are these words meaning to communicate? That's connected to reality. Those are the questions we need to ask. And so it's not helpful to say these are anthropomorphic. And so we just don't we don't think about them or talk about them or we just hand wave them. Bye bye. Says God repents. Well, that's just a change in process. Really? Because couldn't they just write that? That that's a process changed apart from God and God doesn't change at all. What's going on there? Who's getting communicated to what? What is it that they are being communicated? What are they supposed to take away? How are they supposed to understand this? And if, if well, as Walter Bergman argues, that the Bible is a text of advocacy trying to argue for the true God rather than the false gods, um, it's not a very persuasive argument to just hand wave all these things as anthropomorphisms because they are attempting to uh, compete for Godhead, for deity, to teach people who the true God is, rather than the false gods, which was a reoccurring problem in Israel. We, we don't get that today. We don't go to ch Christian church and uh, 
someone's arguing for Marduk or something like that. And we're like, oh no, Yahweh or something like that. And then you're arguing back and forth. Christians have this weird perspective of the world where it's like a Calvinist versus an Arminian. And you're arguing for different dogmas rather than, rather than being steeped in a world in which there's legitimate other deities that are competing for theological world space, we'll, we'll say. Anyways, I don't know how we got there, but the very fact that God is communicating to us in a language we can understand means he is meeting us in our limitations because God is not limited by language as we are. He's condescending to speak to us so that we can understand what he wants us to understand. And many of the passages that we'll look at tonight show his response to sin how he is holy and man is sinful, and that his disposition towards man changes based on uh, the presence of sin or the absence of sin. And this reveals to us God's righteousness and man's depravity. That's what's going on. Do you feel like there's a sermon happening here? It's not an argument as much as, as it is a sermon. It's like, oh, these are these are the implications. These are what I feel about this issue. And, and here's the importance of this. It's, it's not actually an argument that he's making. It's, it's, it's all feelings. It's all emotions. Believe me, because this is how this fits into my theology. And, and that's, that's basically his argument going forward. These verses must mean my theology because they fit in my theology in these particular ways. And I can't imagine uh, how, how uh, they would work outside my theology. They fit my theology, so believe these verses say the things that I say that these verses say. On in a lot of these passages, the most fundamental point of Christianity that man has sinned against a holy God, God is meeting us in our language using terms and using communication that we can understand so that we can get that very basic point. And understanding this, it's very reasonable to expect that idioms and metaphor would be found throughout Scripture because God is describing infinite truths to finite creatures. We must take heed not to project our limitations onto the God who condescends to make himself uh, Yeah, we, we better take heed not to project our own theology over and above the authors of the Bible. What did Moses believe about God? Well, well, we know what Moses believed about God because he wrote to us what he believes about God. And we have plenty of examples of him interacting with God on his presumptions of who God is. It's not this classical timeless being that uh, our friend Jeremy wants. Known. We cannot escape our limitations and we cannot exhaustively comprehend the infinite. So we must take heed. Not Brother Thunder writes, if God is simply ta talking on our level in scripture, why does he often communicate the opposite of what he means or the reverse of what's going on? That, that's exactly true. Uh, the language has to mean something and it can't mean the exact opposite of what's going on. The hand example, it was already brought up. So the Bible uses metaphors when it talks about King David's hand. It says, God says, I'm going to take his hand, I'm going to put it on the water. What that means idiomatically in context is that he's going to give King David kingship over all that territory all the way up to the water. I think they're talking about Jordan or they're talking about the Mediterranean, something like that. But his kingdom's going to extend all the way to the borders of the water. So that's, a, that doesn't, that's not an anthropomorphism. You don't say that when God's going to put King David's hand on the water, it's an anthropomorphism. It's an idiom. It's, it's one thing that's being, it's a, it's a flowery way to communicate one truth using another truth. And it has to be something 
uh, tangible. We, we need to be able to grab hold on it or the immediate audience needs to grab hold on it. Not all of our metaphors are going to transfer directly uh, into ancient cultures. Like, uh, uh, what's a good good uh, good one to use? Um, something like, I don't know, she's few, a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Something like that. People might not be able to put together, they might be able to put together the meaning of that. But it's not guaranteed that everything's going to translate directly. Because words change over time, meanings change over time, idioms change. And so you do got to watch out for that. But it's it's not this thing where he's got this secret knowledge that uh, who knows how Jeremy got his own theology. Where is it coming from? Not coming from the Bible. And he's using that just to carte blanche, override every verse that says the opposite of what he wants those verses to say. He's using his personal feelings as his metric of what to take literally and what not to take literally. That's the opposite of a scholarly approach to the Bible. Not to project our limitations onto God because he has condescended into our limitations to speak to us. Scripture teaches very clearly that God transcends time. In Psalm 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. God has a unique relationship with time. He is, is that what that's going for? Um, I don't think that's what it's going for. <clears throat> I think the actual point is that God is an eternal being. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And you, we're like grass. We wither away. We have a short lifespan. And God has such a long, as, as you get older, you're going to notice that time speeds up. When you're two years old and you live a year, that's one third of your life that you're experiencing. When you're 30 years old and you have another year, that's one thirty-first amount of time that, that you're alive that you're experiencing. And God is so much above that, that everything's just moving at uh, supersonic speed. We're like grass. We, we were born and we grow, and we die, we wither away, and he's everlasting above that. And so it's, it's talking about not God's metaphysical relationship with some sort of Einstein theory of relativity or something like that. It's just talking about God's everlastingness compared to our limitness. We're limited beings. We just fade away. And so that's what he's going to do. So God experiences time in a certain way. He'll say, okay, God has, he'll say, God experiences time like this. And he'll say, look at that. God is timeless. <laughs> um, that, that's not what the verse says. The verse says the exact opposite, that God is experiencing time. You can't jump from God is experiencing time to God is timeless. Uh, he's doing this thing where he's not proof texting. He's He's using verses as a talking point. He'll find a verse, just kind of like our guy in our previous video. <clears throat> he'll hear a question about prayer, and then he'll go on this big monologue about prayer that has nothing to do with the question. He'll, he'll see a couple of key words in a verse, and he'll say, oh, let me talk in my monologue about timelessness. It's just not in the verse. That's not what the verse is about. It's not what it's describing. The context doesn't support what you're claiming. You're just going on a monologue that's unrelated to a verse in which a couple keywords flagged you, flagged you to uh, to initiate this pre prescripted rant. Right? He's not thinking about the verses that he's responding to. He, he he really doesn't have any proof text, and so they have to do this very desperate thing and just grab whatever they can and talk about it. And I don't blame him for what he's trying to do. He's he's, he's in a debate trying to prove timelessness. He just doesn't have any evidence. 
Um, he doesn't seem to realize it until pretty late in the debate that he, all he's doing is he's, he's using talking points. There's no proof text for his view. He transcends our creaturely limitation of perception of time and our creaturely limitation of experiencing time. A thousand years in his sight are like yesterday. In Second Peter 3, the, the apostle writes the same idea that a thousand years are like a day for God. This is more than just mere eternal existence that is still marked by time like our existence. This is indicating that God is Lord over time and he has a unique relationship with time. I wish he had turned to the context and then talked through that, what that would mean in context. So a lot of times when they're talking about what they say a verse means, you, you could take that, you could snapshot that in your brain, what they claim that verse means. You could go back to the context and you could just start reading verse by verse. And then instead of reading that verse, take that mental snapshot and insert that into context and see if it makes any sense whatsoever. It'd be like, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you're not destroyed. They're like, oh. That means metaphysically that uh, there there can't be any variation. There's no change for the better or the worse. He's metaphysically absolute and simple and partless. He can't. It's like if you insert that into the verse, it doesn't make any sense. It's just absolute nonsense. And so when uh, what is it? Peter is talking about uh, everyone is like, what the heck? Why isn't the apocalypse happening? And he says a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. He's not saying. Their time is meaningless to God. And then, uh, so this might never happen ever. And so, um, just keep waiting. That's, that's not what's going on there. I'll let, I'll let them talk a little bit more. I'll try to pull that up. Time because of it. Scripture teaches that God's decree transcends creaturely time limitations. God says through Isaiah that he has declared the end from the beginning and he will accomplish all his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is to glorify himself. This is only possible if he transcends time. He declares what's going to happen before it happens to bring glory to himself because he transcends time. All right. So uh, I got this uh, pulled up and uh, I'm not going to screen share it. It's going to take too much. But Second uh, Peter 3, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostle. He's saying, just remember what you've been taught. Remember all our predictions. Remember, it's, it's the context of the apocalypse. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. There's people who are like, hey, we, it says, they'll say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're saying, this apocalypse is not coming. Apocalypse is not coming. They says, uh, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God, that by means of these that the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. He says, yeah, these things have sh shaken up before. So the people who, who, are, who say everything continues as they always have, they, they discount things like the flood, which was a definite event that shook things up. And so they're just wrong based on technical grounds. Seven, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. Oh, here's the apocalypse. And the destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact. That time doesn't actually exist for God, and God is eternal and timeless, and that, um, that there's... 
there's there's no duration in the god no no that's, that no it says do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord one day is as a, as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day huh the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slow slowness but is patient towards you patience wow how, how does god have patience if he's timeless not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance do all reach repentance does God get what he wishes in in this context. It it doesn't it doesn't work. Inserting this guy's this crazy ludicrous metaphysics makes this meaningless. The actual context is uh, God experiences time differently than us. Like uh, sure, um, but his, that's in reference to his mercy. Uh, he's patient and and ever long lasting, and uh, he's willing to endure uh, so that more people can be saved. That's the context. The context is not timelessness. That that would make no sense whatsoever. Just insert their ridiculous interpretations of verses back into the context. And what is what what is the point in context if that verse actually means what they claim? It doesn't make sense. The apostle John saw future things in the book of Revelation. As he was writing the book of Revelation, he saw future things and they will take place as he saw them because God transformed. Except for the temple's not standing anymore. And so then you got dispensationalists like, oh, the temple got to be rebuilt because that temple existed in Revelation and it doesn't exist anymore. And so, and then he's writing to all these churches that don't exist anymore. Uh, Maybe, maybe, uh, Jeremy, maybe, maybe there's something off with your theology there, friend. Transcends time. There are detailed prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the other prophets. Jeff writes, so basically Peter is saying that God is not impatient like us. It seems to be that way. It seems to be both a patience claim and a power claim. A thousand years is like a day, like God can accomplish in a thousand years. God can accomplish what it will take us a thousand years for in like a day. And so it might, all the whole apocalypse might all come back really fast in a day and come to fruition because God is a lot more capable than us. It seems to be a, a, a dual point that's being made there. It's, these prophecies include the countless choices of men, yet their prophecies have come to pass and will come to pass just as they had said, just as God has said, because he transcends time. The open theist asserts in the face of all this that it is most virtuous for the future to be completely uncertain. That it is most yeah i i remember will duffy like oh let's figure out what the most virtuous thing is and then we'll just believe the most virtuous thing this is a, a classic example of projection it could be that he has read open theists who use this type of language and thought process to come to truth values could be that give them the benefit of the doubt there but uh, just just think he's arguing against will duffy i don't think will duffy's ever done that virtuous for the future to be totally undetermined. Well, this isn't virtuous. Only God bringing glory to himself according to his will alone is truly virtuous. And scripture teaches us that that's exactly what God does. Now, scripture also teaches us that God does exist within time. God has chosen to be fully present among his creatures on the earth out of his infinite love. And this can be referred to as imminence. So just as God is transcendent, he transcends so these are made up categories. So it's like ad hoc ca- category creation. We're going to skip forward. Maybe we'll talk about more biblical evidence. 
In Jeremiah 18, God says to the nations, if I said I'm going to destroy one nation and they repent, then he will change and relent of that disaster. And that's because these ordinances that he has eternally decreed play out within time. He has decreed his own actions, and he's very personal with us in the playing out of his decree. The conditions that are found in a prophetic utterance do not negate God's certainty. From the creaturely perspective, these responses of God to man's actions may seem like on-the-fly reactions to an unforeseen event, but rather they are contained in his unchangeable eternal decree. He is both trained. Why? Because he just makes an unsupported claim. He's just like, yeah, it's, it's a talking point. It's, it's, it's not actually exegeting the Bible and getting your theology from the Bible. It's you just make a series of claims. That's like what our friend did in the first video. So the cringe cast applies to the first video. This is this guy's not this guy's not really part of the cringe cast. This guy's actually a decent guy trying to make the best case he can. He just doesn't have a case. And so he's he's struggling here. Transcendent and imminent. As John Frame has said, God is not merely like an agent in time. He really is in time, changing as others change. And we should not say that his atemporal, changeless existence is more real than his changing existence in time. Both are real. Neither form of existence contradicts the other. God's transcendence never compromises his imminence, nor do his control and authority compromise his covenant presence. It's like if I uh, anchor says the stuff he is spouting is a word salad. It's it's this idea of uh, you baffle them with BS. Like if you if you say a bunch of big words and you put them together in a sentence like, oh, what, what was that? There's there's that guy who pretended to be a, a psychologist, uh, you know, and um, he 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 like got himself established in a school as like the director of the psychology school. And like everything he talked about was just made up. He just like hated psychiatry and he hated psychiatrists. And so he infiltrated them just making up nonsense. And nobody ever took him to task on anything he claimed because uh, they're all afraid to. But he's, he's just using the words and language that uh, made them step back and like, oh, he this guy must know what he's talking about. No, ever, no one ever took him to task. And he's, he's getting salaried. He's getting salaried at these prestigious universities for just made up nonsense that he makes up on the fly to uh, uh, to lambast the, this group of people that he absolutely hates. I, I think there's a Mad Labs Mad Lads episode, and uh, Mad Lads is um, who's that guy? Uh, that uh, Count Dankula who had his his dog like do the Hitler salute, so he went to jail. But uh, one of his mad lads is, oh, maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's this jailbird guy. I don't know. But it's really funny. It's worth listening to and just understanding the uh, the sociological implications of what what happens in in these in these types of uh, environments, in these intellectual environments, right? Okay, so I they're they're just they're just making up things and just saying things in some sort of uh, sequence and people are just buying them because it sounds smart. I think that's what happens a lot of times with theology. That's what they do. They just try to confuse and uh, BS their way to their degree. Anyways, uh, Jeff writes, it's a gish gallop. Yeah, gish gallop is like when you just throw out all sorts of different 
types of evidence all at once. And so there's too much to respond to. And so that it is something like that. But I think that's uh, what we're going to do for tonight. Um, there, there's a good interaction back and forth between Will Duffy and our friend Jeremy. And uh, he takes him to task pretty well. It, it doesn't turn out very well for the closed theist. I think that's an objective an objective uh, conclusion from this. I, I don't know if there's any like random dudes that we could find that will confirm or deny. But anyways, we'll, we'll stop there. Um, if anyone has a better defense of timelessness in the Bible, just send me any links you have. There are certain papers. Monergism has one that tries to talk about the biblical evidence, but that, that would have to be not a live discussion. I, I, because I need something to interact with in the live discussions, so so that I could just uh, sometimes cough, you know, and uh, I could cut those all out in like non-live discussions. So if you have any videos or anything, send them my way, yeah, or else I'll, I'll try to do some more standalone videos on the timelessness of one. We definitely need to go through uh, God inhabiting eternity, do a standalone video on that because that that's one of their key things oh god inhabits eternity so this this verse in the middle of this chapter is talking about god's yeah I, I don't think so i don't think so oh ted says just got here i'll have to rewatch later yeah just put it i don't know hit replay it should be good all right everyone thanks for coming uh thanks for watching questions comments put that down below or start a thread on the god is open facebook group thanks